Takeover World. Live from Seattle, Washington, we are in the summer. Diving into the news, moves and stories shaping your Seattle sports scene. You've made it to the end of the internet, where the summer never ends. And now, your hosts. Evan James Audio. Alex to the Andrew. We are Endless Summer. Hey, and welcome back to Endless Summer. This is a podcast where we specifically focus on the Mariners, but baseball in general. Uh, We talk about, you know, useless stats, useless uh, position ratings, and specifically useless table standings because it's the Mariners and we'll go nowhere ever. Um, Hey, I'm Alex. I'm joined by Evan, uh, and we're just happy to have you with us Uh, here. We're going to go ahead and we're going to break down the last three weeks of the Mariners, which can be in one word described as absolutely depressing so that's two words but we'll call it hyphenated uh and we're going to jump into you know what we've what we've seen from kelnick coming up from uh gilbert uh how we feel about the changes um you know through dfaing of uh I believe we dfa'd marmaleos and uh trends um we'll talk more into what we think about you know the league in general the high injury rate the um you know the the favoring towards pitchers uh and then we'll just kind of go and and take a look at what's uh you know where we see this this season going and just uh talk about what we see this season thus far uh hey again thanks for joining let's just uh jump into it hey evan uh how do you feel the last three weeks have gone outside of the word bad actually feel pretty positive about the team for the first time in a long time and I, the reason why i think that is is because i think it's always darkest before the dawn and my opinion is that as a longtime mariners fan may is always the darkest month for a bunch of reasons and one of those is that the team usually bottoms out in may and they bottomed out this month like there's no other way to put it we got our asses kicked so thoroughly by san diego and by detroit of all teams um that you could just you could feel that legitimate hope of like you know, whatever spark there may have been for, you know, playoffs or second wild card or whatever. Um, all that's dead. We're not talking about that anymore. That conversation is is basically finished on the team level. And they're looking way more specifically at Kelnick and at the prospects and at the development of guys in AAA. And so there's sort of like a death of fandom when that happens. You know what I mean? Like the actual hope dies, but you get to move on to the things that were really important anyway that you should have been focused on in the first place. Um And I think obviously the things we haven't gotten to talk about yet are Kelnick coming up and then Gilbert making his debut. And on those fronts, I feel really, really good. So I actually want to ask you first, let's start with with Gilbert and we'll go to Kelnick second. How do you feel like Gilbert's done so far? Obviously, the surface level statistics are not that exciting, um, but I like what I've seen. How do you feel about how he's pitched so far? I think he just needs more time, uh, not out of like in, in, in the majors. I think that he's got great movement on his fastball. He's got, he's just, he's got all the tools there. It's just putting it together. And, you know, honestly, it, people are like, I can't believe his first outing, he got blown up. I'm like, dude was nervous as all hell. And, you know, his first couple, uh, his first round, his first kind of go through the order was actually pretty good. And then they started to get to him. 
But I think, you know, in time, he'll get better. It will come together. And I think he's got elite written all over him. I, I think he he reminds me a lot of Sean Manea, Manaya, you know, from um, from the A's. Uh, I don't know if he's still on the A's right now, but like he's a good pitcher. But when he first came up, he was really shaky. Um, and that's not to say that he, you know, Gilbert won't be. But I can see him. You know, or at least I see the start as similar. Uh, but, you know, if he gets all the pieces together and really puts that whole uh, kind of, for lack of a better analogy, puzzle together and gets things right, I think he can re- reach quite high levels. I'm not going to say he's a DeGrom or Syndergaard or anything like that, but he's definitely got the tools there to be successful. He just needs a manager that knows what he's doing. <laughs> Well, we will get to that because I love your spicy takes on that particular issue. Um, but I actually love what I've seen from Gilbert so far. And I was thinking about it. The reality is, is that this is about the time he would be up in a normal season in terms of a date. You know what I mean? In terms of like where we are in time. But in terms of actual in-game experience, he's still only pitched like four times in AAA. Maybe not even, maybe three. Um, and when he was coming up a couple years ago... As he was advancing levels, you know, he was cleaning up in A and in high A. But when he got promoted up to double A, there was two, three, maybe even four games where, you know, it was kind of an intermediate struggle for him when he made that jump. And it was talked about quite a bit um, in the Mariner sphere about how his first three starts in the majors, you know, he was primarily using his fastball. Um, there was a little change up, but he wasn't mixing in the curve very well. So he was kind of leaning on two pitches and... His more recent start, I believe number three, he mixed in the curve quite a bit more. So I think we're seeing him kind of figure it out in real time. And people are real hung up on that two and a third inning or two and two thirds innings. That was his second start. I'm just not that worried about the surface level stats yet because, yeah, it's been three starts and none of them have been spectacular. But he also hasn't like pitched a full game yet, basically, right? It's like eight innings, something to that effect. Um I will be concerned about pitchers when they throw more than 10 innings. You know, like I just, it's just too early for me to worry about that. Um, And I I think he's looked good. He definitely looks the part of a stud prospect. Um, He throws the ball ridiculously close to the plate in the ground. Like he just, that extension is nuts. And um, I'm really excited to see what he looks like. I think even compared to Kelnick and um, some of the other guys who might be coming up later this year, Gilbert has probably the best chance to look on the surface level, like his progression is linear. You know what I mean? Like we might see him have a couple more kind of wonky short starts, but man, I'd be shocked if you don't see him throw some seven inning gems towards the end of the season. And I think that's really exciting to look forward to. Um, But let's pivot to Kelnick because Kelnick is the biggest news, not only in the Mariners, but you know, kind of sports at large right now, the MLB hemisphere is a little bit obsessed with him to some degree, um, especially the Mets fans. So um, it's been a mixed bag. Obviously, there there have been games where like that second game, which I was actually at where he got his first hit, the home run and, you know, a couple of hustle doubles. Um, Jerry said he's the best player on the field that night. And it was true to an obvious degree. But he's looked like much more of a rookie ever since. Um, how are you feeling about kind of the changes he's made, his approach at the plate and what you expect to see from him in terms of improvement? I think that he may not have been as ready as we thought, but I think also our hand was forced. I think he's got all the tools to make it. I think the thing that concerns me and I was reading a couple threads on Reddit and mainly Reddit. Um, and 
his strikeout people are like oh he's not you know he's really unlucky which yes he is he's getting good contact he's hitting into a lot of like uh ground uh, ground ball outs um you know or you know line line outs where it's just like dropping into people's gloves right for a majority and we'll get into this later the 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 league this year has been favoring pitchers um i hope that as it warms up that will change um but balls are just dying in the air and i think a lot of that is because they changed the ball because rob manford hates fun and is a piece of shit um and i but really it comes back to is i think one of the things that concerns me is i was looking at this he's had 62 out bats and he's had 14 strikes strikeouts that's actually high that's a that's a 22 percent strikeout rate which people are like yeah it's not bad and i'm like well i don't i i want to see better plate discipline discipline because his his i would be feeling better if he was walking he hasn't had that many walks he hasn't had that met right and and granted i haven't seen every strikeout so like i don't know how many of those are like umps that called a ball in the middle of the plate or you know are a, a strike way outside like you know type of situations like that there are obviously those unlucky ones um where you know clearly is he's unlucky i think ultimately my concern is just can he does he have the mental fortitude to break out of such a slump or not let that slump get to the rest of his play it doesn't look like it but i just worry that being said, I do think he has all the tools there. I think he's a tremendous fielder. I think he's going to do great. I think he's great in left field. It's nice to have some defensive stability in left field because usually that's where it's just like we have we have um, we have nine people on the diamond. We have eight people who know how to play the game of baseball and we put Joe from the stands in left field because no one hits the left field. <laughs> We had um, Donovan Walton out in left field a couple days ago, and he'd never played left field before. And I'm always so mystified because we joke about how Scott Service likes to play infielders in the outfield, but he seems to do so at junctures where, like, we absolutely don't need to. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that there's really probably only three outfielders on the team right now, but there are configurations where you don't need to absolutely put Donovan Walton or Sam Haggerty out there, and he just loves it. So... That seems like a facet of the service brand that's here to stay. But I want to talk a little bit about um, Kelnick's transition because I think you're right. He is striking out a little bit too much. Um, I don't want to just steal straight up stuff from the slack that I've been picking up, but watching Kelnick's at-bats, he is first pitch swinging a lot. And it's because... He's getting pitched such where they're throwing him the fastball first, and then they're just giving him junk on the edges of the plate and hoping he grounds out. And frankly, it's working. And so he's trying to jump and pounce on the first pitch um, and, and, you know, make solid contact. And what's happening is he's getting a lot of fly ball outs, a lot of ground ball outs, and he's hitting quite a bit of like um, infield flies, like pop-ups kind of to foul territory that they're getting caught. And uh, he is getting unlucky, but he's not getting so unlucky where I'm watching him and thinking like, you know, oh, he's he's going to turn it on and go 14 for 20. He's getting unlucky in that he's making good, but not perhaps ideal contact on a lot of pitches. And I think that this is a learning process. Like you said, I don't think he was probably as ready as we all would have hoped. And as the Mariners wanted, frankly, I think in, again, in a normal year, they probably would have given him maybe not another hundred at bats, but like another 50, 60, something like that. Another, another couple of weeks at the very least. And he does have the appearance of somebody who's a little bit raw, both defensively and offensively. 
Um, and I think that this is a bad time for for me personally to be looking at his stats because it's just it's just all upside at this point. You know what I mean? When you see him play well and you see him, you know, hit the crap out of the ball and make those hustle doubles, that's the guy they're looking for. But right now he's he's really struggling to have that guy kind of bubble to the surface. He's also getting hazed a little bit by the umps because he's very expressive when he, you know, gets a called strike on a, you know, a half swing or whatever. He's really kind of he has the appearance of a rookie in a lot of ways that I think are not benefiting him necessarily right now. Um, but that's okay. This is exactly the time and the season for all this to be going on. And I'm glad that it's happening now because if some of this is going to go on next year, it's going to be more of an issue. This is the time for our prospects to suck, frankly. And uh, I don't think he's been bad, but I think he's been very much a mixed bag. But we should talk about, you know, you mentioned he maybe wasn't as ready as we would have hoped. So let's go to that question. What do you make of the disparity between AAA and Major League performance for the Mariners' prospects? And in the game at large, to some degree, Taylor Trammell is hitting nearly 400 in AAA. Kalanick was hitting nearly 400 in AAA. Luis Torrens has come down to earth, but he's hit like, you know, three home runs or something. He's looked a lot better in AAA than he did in the majors. Um, guys are, and Cal Raleigh is, is teeing off. Cal Raleigh's having a week. I want to say he's batting 500 over the last six or seven games. So, um, there are a couple of theories as to why, but I want to get your take first before I go into that. What do you make of this disparity and what's going on? I think the quality of pitching in the minors isn't at the same level as the majors. I think ultimately that's what it comes down to, especially when you look at like situations like Taylor Trammell. Taylor Trammell couldn't put it together in the majors. Like we gave him a good run and he reminds me of... There, there was someone we had a couple years ago who literally would demolish AAA, come up to the majors and hit barely 150. And it was that kind of situation where it's just like, they're like AAA and a half kind of quality. And, and that's, that's a problem um, because you need them to put that final step together. And granted, like I said, this year, it does seem like the ball is favoring the pitchers, like the game in itself is, which is unfortunate because it's a game of where, you know, it's more exciting. Like a perfect game is really exciting when you're the team pitching the perfect game or a no hitter. A no hitter is one of the most demoralizing things to go through as a as a fan, right? Until the end when you're like, "Well, this will be cool to see," you know. And it was, I mean, like I, I made the I, I made the meme. I used the butter robot from uh, from Rick and Morty, and I was like, "What is my purpose?" And I'm like, "You get no hit because we got twice no hit <laughs> twice in seven days. Like that's absurd, mm -hmm. right?" And it it really is a demoralizing thing to go through. And that's why it's just like, yeah, pitching and defensive battles, if you're truly into the sport, is really cool because, you know, you get to see like a catcher and a pitcher working together to make sure to continue, especially as you're going for a complete game, you're seeing the lineup, maybe the, uh, the third time through, maybe a little bit of the fourth time through if you're working off a, a no hitter, right? Mm -hmm. And so you see that and it, it, with that kind of, um, thing you have to continuously switch things up. You can't go to the same pitch every time, or you can't you know, use the same sequence you were using before. And so it's a really interesting, you know, process to to kind of watch and, and take note of. But the problem is, is that when you as a as a fan are watching that and your team is getting no hit, that really sucks. And it's not fun, and it's not exciting. And I like I can't imagine being in the ballpark watching that that day and being like. Well, this is, 
Yeah. Right? Like yeah. offense is what like people want to see. And granted, like, yes, the occasional no hitter is really great, but like, you know, we've had five no hitters and we're not even two whole months into the season this year. And there at most have been seven no hitters in a season. Right. And we're already at five and we're too like there are going to be more no hitters, yeah. especially as it gets colder. Right. So like in the fall. And so, you know, ultimately, that's that's my concern is that the, the sport isn't really favoring what uh, pardon me, what we expect to see. So I for me, that's that's the difficult thing um, is. I, I think that there's there's a there's an issue there where you're seeing these players come up from AAA and they're going from, uh, you know, this very right. Because AAA is generally a mixture of high A or or double A hitters with sub major league pitchers. Right. Because usually if you're a pitcher, you skip AAA and you go right into the majors. More recently, historically that that was more like 2019, 2020 than before. But yes, that is, that was the case recently. And so really, because, you know, it uh, probably because like I like I was saying, it's like it matches more to what you expect to see. But. From my perspective, I just I don't know what you do. I think I do actually think Tramel can put it together. I think he's a good player. Um, I think Luis Torrens needs to be shipped off to some other team because um, I think he's helpless. Um, we, we make fun of the pirates, but we were very close to having that kind of thing happen, uh, yeah. with Torrent. Um, mm-hmm. we did have it happen. It was a tag, it was a tag play and he thought it was a put out and we lost that game. Yep. Um, yep. So, you know, ultimately I just don't think Torrent has it and I don't think Torrent has it in the defensive area, right? For a catcher, I think that that's the most important thing as a catcher. You need to know the game. Um, better than any other player right so i think that's my that's that's the biggest issue for me is that i don't think i i don't i i don't know what the issue is between triple a and the majors but i think that there's just such a big disconnect in the way that i I don't know ultimately too if they're using the same ball i don't i don't know that that procedure if they use the same ball through all all the uh the the levels but yeah you're smiling why because um i totally agree with everything you're saying i think that was a good lead into what i wanted to talk about actually because you're you're absolutely right you nailed three things for me number one is that the quality of pitching is not where it should be for AAA right now number two is that the ball is different um and number three i think something that a lot of people haven't been talking about but is really important to consider is that the teams are still doing the covid alternate sites so I think when we're talking about the quality of pitchers in AAA relative to a normal year where they wouldn't have that particular kind of alignment, we would see all the team's players, all the team's pitchers in particular who weren't on the major leagues in that AAA team. For the Mariners and for a lot of these other teams, a lot of the relief pitchers, the guys who are throwing kind of, um, you know, fringe AAA major league junk stuff um, are, are in the alternate site. For example, like if we were to send Paul Seawald or name another Mariners relief pitcher who showed up in the last month. Um, though Robert Duggar or, you know, Daniel Zamora who just premiered yesterday and I had never heard of until he was on the mound. Um, 
any of those guys are probably not getting sent down to AAA. They're getting sent down to the alternate site. So when I was thinking about this disparity between AAA and the majors relative to usual, it's because AAA is probably closer to like a double A plus right now in terms of the competition that they're seeing from pitchers. Um, and then the alternate site is probably more of like a triple A, triple A plus because it has a lot of those guys who are on the fringes of the roster and are subject to be called up basically at any time. So you're absolutely right on that front that the quality of the competition is disparate. I've also been talking about this in the Slack with some other people and they noted that even though the ball is supposed to be the one that they're using in the major leagues at AAA, there hasn't been real confirmation of that. And there's actually been some reporting that it's been both, that sometimes they are using the new ball and sometimes they're not using the new ball. And so it's difficult to read into some of the statistics and have a great amount of clarity as to how we should interpret it. So yes, there's a lot of, there's kind of like a fog of war around AAA right now where we are seeing these guys just absolutely teed off and it's encouraging because, yeah, I'd rather see Taylor Trammell hit nearly 500 over a week than not, right? Like, that's there's no way to spin that other than positive. But we're also watching them come up and hit, you know, sub 200 in the major leagues. And it's like, man, is it just not good prep for what they're about to experience anymore? Is the is the difference in talent that great? And it seems like, yes. Um, and that's, I don't know what they do about that. You know what I mean? They kind of just have to wait it out with this year. And particularly when it comes to the ball and this new like buoyancy of the ball and it dying on the warning track and having 20% less um, home runs on certain angles and stuff like that. I don't know how to read into that and think anything other than they're going to change the ball again. And so my question was, Looking at both this year and last year and really like this particular era we're living through of baseball, I wonder if five years from now we're going to look back and think that it's hard to evaluate much of the statistics from this time because there's so much variance based on ex factors that we can't necessarily quantify. And I, I don't think that. they'll change the ball. You don't think they'll change the ball even no, with no, all the production and offense? I think Rob Manfred loves that. It makes the game go faster. It makes it, it gives him, you know, it makes it, it just, it does everything that Manfred wants, which is by extension, the owners, uh, because the owners are trash, just like Manfred, um, because they hate fun. They, they hate, they hate the sport that they purchased into. It's very strange. I don't understand it. Um, it is very strange. Uh, but you know, I think ultimately the thing that for me, from in my perspective, uh, and, and that I wonder if what we need to do to alleviate some of this, because I don't think they'll change the ball. I would hope that they change it back to the one that, you know, actually gave, you know, joy, um, when watching the sport. Um, and not to say that there isn't like Tatis is doing like Mac Michael Jackson moves on the, you know, in the batter's box to avoid, you know, being hit by a pitch. Like it's great. Incredible. It, there, there's, incredible. there's still, there's still great things about the sport, um, you know, except, except for the Manfred runner and, um, you know, the ball being changed. And apparently the, the World Se Series trophy is just a piece of metal. I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wonder if we need to bring players up to that alternate site for like a week. That are coming up from AAA have them, you know, hit against some major league quality, quote unquote, pitching and see if what they're doing down in Dublin in AAA, AAA uh, is actually uh, is going to correlate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I like that idea. I wonder if they don't because there's some type of logistical reasons why they can't in terms I'm of, sure I know is. that for the Mariners, they have both the alternate team and the Rainiers are both playing in Tacoma. And so there might be like logistical things of they can't have that many people in the stadium or you know what I mean? Like there's still all these right. COVID protocols. Um, so we don't really know about that. It is in a nutshell, a good idea though. Hey, if they're hitting 400 against AAA pitching, why not send them up and see how they do against Paul Seawald for a week? I like it. That stands to perfect reason to me as like a reasonable, you know, kind of semi fix for this over the next couple of months. But we talked about, we're talking about the disparity and right now um, between pitching and hitting. So the other question was, the first half of the season seems to be skewing very heavily in favor of pitchers. Do you think the story of the second half is more of the same? Do we continue to see less offense or do the hitters strike back and to what degree? What do you think about that? I think ultimately the question is, is how, I know this is stupid, but like relatively how warm or not warm has this, uh, this spring been that we've, you know, this first kind of half of the season been? uh versus previous years um and even looking back before the new ball came into play and stuff like that uh, because the start of the season predominantly always favors pitching it always does because pitchers take a lot less to warm up to see the ball right they're throwing um you know far earlier pitchers and catchers report in the middle of february whereas the rest of the team reports you know in uh in basically the start of march and so mm -hmm. it the, there's this like it's very strange uh kind of way that we 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 um you know we deal with things and from my perspective the thing that i want to that i want to know is just hey what did it look like in the past is it cooler and then understanding like also one i was looking at this stat that said like one it's an injury heavy heavy season i think the mariners have around six war on the on the il uh, whereas like for example and that's not even that bad that's bad like that sucks that's a that's a good like we have about six wins of players on the on the uh injured list uh whereas the mets have about 20 wins but that's just the mets being the mets uh, um, so but I, I think ultimately that speaks to you know and, and they're not the only team with a high level of um war on the il I, I think really it comes down to hey there is a dis there right that amount of time off last year is probably catching up to a lot of players uh there yes. there are injuries there's injuries to players that you don't expect to really get injured um you know it's just it is what it is and we will do the best that we can uh across the league and so I, I think that that's a part of it as well i think that you'll see it kind of more average out like I said, I think especially in the warmer months, it always tends to favor the hitter during the the warmer months. But we'll see. It's uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know. I, I really don't. And I think that I think so much of this is tied up in that new ball as well. Yeah. May I posit a hypothesis here? I was thinking about what you were saying, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, the last. You say Kikuchi start, Root Sports did a little graphic and they showed that that particular start, he surpassed the same number of hitters that he had pitched to as the previous season, as in 2020. So I went and looked on fan graphs and sure enough, 
we're basically over the last week, we're at the threshold of where we were last year, where particularly starting pitchers have thrown between 50 and 70 innings, which is all they got last year. Like I think the Mariners highest pitch pitcher innings count was like 65 or something. So we're at that threshold and we have passed it as of this week for basically the entire league. And it very much is an open question. Um, how pitchers respond to that additional workload. Is it not like there's been a lot of discussion about, oh, they're going to throw like 130 innings, 140 innings relative to a normal season where they might throw like 170. That's still more than double what they threw last year in a lot of cases. So I think you could make the argument that while hitters have really suffered in the first half, as pitchers have this workload double over the next couple of months, it you would expect to see... Um, you know, hitters maybe have an uptick in performance as a, you know, a corresponding result, a correlation. Would you say that's fair to assume? I think it is. I I really expect to see some, right. I, I, I and it sounds terrible because I, I, you never want to see someone get injured. Um, but I expect to see some hitters get injured. One thing that's freaky to me is how Shohei Otani has not gotten injured yet. Like him being a dual threat uh, player and like uh, he's amazing and a phenomenal um, player, but how he has not injured himself yet in is just insane because he's he's hitting and he's pitching and he's he's hitting in games that he's pitching. It's just it's crazy. He's like the ultimate player and um, and somehow hasn't hasn't gotten injured and, and Trout has. And so it's just it's very. Yeah. It's I'm 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 confused by that, but, you know, um, he might just be a god among men. So a little bit of uh, fandom for I hate the angels. We both hate the angels. The angels can fucking get it. But um, is it fair to say that right now Tatis and Otani are not just the faces of baseball, but by far the most interesting players? Is that like, is that okay to say? I think so. I think Tatis and, and Otani are definitely two of the th- if if someone was like, hey, I want to watch baseball for this first time, I would say look at the San Diego Padres and the LA Angels and take a look at what they're doing. Um, because I think there's a lot there that you can like. Uh, and, and like I said, I think the Angels, yes, they're terrible. They suck. But I would not be surprised to see in three years them in the World Series or in the divisional round really challenging. Um, I think that they've got the right manager there to complete that that process. Joe Madden guy, I forgot that you're a you're a big Joe Madden supporter. Is that correct? I'm not a supporter. I just think that he's done it before with two very like off like very um, mismanaged ball clubs. Right, the the Rays and uh, the Cubs and, and Grant to when he went to the Cubs, it was Theo Epstein took over. So that was a little bit different, but. You know, he he knows how to take something that is not working and put it into a perspective to succeed. And then he notes out. Um, So I'm not a huge fan of him. I just think that he's the right kind of person for what they're looking to do. Um, So I I think that you you will see success from the Angels, probably not this year, but probably next year, which is great. Of course, it's right in line with our, our, uh, our our plan. So that sucks prediction i don't know if if i have the same kind of faith in them organizationally because they seem so top heavy to me and their performance just doesn't ever seem to match kind of what is expected of them despite having so many great players um but i I could see it i do think joe madden is a good coach i think i'm a little bit out to lunch on them as an organization because i think that 
owner their ownership sucks and so kind of like the mariners no matter how much faith i can have kind of in the organization below that i feel like the restrictions at the top are a real problem um but I hope that they sort of do okay because I like Otani a lot and want to continue watching him. And I think that he's good for the sport. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. no offense to Mike Trout, but he is just the most mayonnaise on white bread sandwich player in baseball in a long time. And him being the biggest deal, I I don't want to say it was bad for the sport, but I don't think it grew the sport in any kind of appreciable way just because he's such a nothing athlete kind of and well i i'd say more that he's just reserved like he's not a he's not yeah. a spotlight kind of person like he's phenomenal he's a tremendous athlete he's basically ken griffey jr regen but without the injury history and the arrogance he's right like a little bit better unfortunately but yeah right like well that's probably why he's better because he takes better care of himself yes um and yeah. so you know you look at you know, he's just, and you know, not to, he's just a dude <laughs> really what it comes down to. And like, he's not the type of, he doesn't have that personality. He doesn't have that, that, that pizzazz that, you know, you see from Tatis or that kind of uniqueness that you get from Otani. Like Tatis is not only phenomenal, he's a great shortstop. He's a great player. He's just got the energy and personality that you want out there as the face of your the face of your your sport right like he's he's someone you want promoting that sport to get people to come and and pay attention right he's fun he's 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 not arrogant but he's confident he's aggressive at the plate he he plays the sport incredibly well he's fun he he's funny he jokes around he's so cool He's like he's, so freaking cool. Like I hate it because he went seven for nine against us in that series. And every time he was up, I was just mesmerized because he's so cool. And yeah, he hits these big home runs. And like he's awesome. He's so yeah, cool. He's great. And that's just not who Mike Trout is. And 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 that's that's ultimately an issue with with sports fandom is more trying to fit these players who are, you know, reserved and and don't really care about the spotlight into these like positions of well you're the best so now you get to sit out here and you know it's like what it's my favorite and and, and you see it you see people try to do it with like Messi in barcelona but you'll never you'll never see Messi in a press conference because he's like no i'm not talking to people it's like fucking marshawn lynch i'm just Mm -hmm. here so i don't get fined like he doesn't care he just you know Messi does what Messi wants and honest to god no one at barcelona is going to tell Messi to go up and get in a press conference because Messi is like literally the only reason they exist now um <laughs> but you know it's it's that kind of situation where you know, you've got these you know these big name athletes and for a lot of them that's all they 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 will go play their sport and then go home and hang out with their family like you know and some of them you know like like I'm like I'm saying Tatis he is a ball of energy. I love watching the Padres. Um, and it's great. And honestly, they're kind of my second team. I've been watching them yeah. a lot this season and they're a lot of fun. Um, and I've been watching them. I've been trying to pay attention to them for about the past three years because, you know, you could tell a couple of years ago, they were really starting to like rebuild aggressively and, and it's coming together and it's exciting to see. And, and it's also, it makes me so jealous. So jealous. So jealous. Oh, I'm man. like, Oh, this is what competency looks like. Fuck. 
But, you know, it was interesting. Um, they gave Jared Kelnick the last day of that particular, the San Diego series off because they wanted him to just watch Tatis, essentially, because, you know, our hope in the bottom of our hearts is that Kelnick is is that guy, right? Like, not today, but soon Kelnick is that guy. And we want him to look at Tatis and be like, yeah, dude, I, I want to be that guy. I want to go seven for nine in a series and single-handedly beat a team because he outscored the Mariners in that series by a lot by like I want to say it was like 27 to 9 was the total score but like something like 24 of those points were from Tatis so he single-handedly beat us um and we're hoping that someday Jared is that superstar but you we're talking about San Diego here for a sec real quick We've talked about this before, but I see a lot of parallels between AJ Preller in particular and Jerry DePoto in that they were both brought into a situation where they were expected to compete right away, kind of assembled shoddy rosters to compete, frankly. Um, and there's some reasons as to why that is. Uh, some of it was their hands tied. Some of it was they couldn't spend X amount of money. But some of it was that they kind of, they bet the short-term future on players who weren't very good. You know, the San Diego Padres famously traded for Matt Kemp, who was already kind of a dead man walking at that point. Um, you know, the Mariners had like Dejo Lee and Ryan Healy out there during competitive seasons as it was. Excuse me, no out. one shall slight the god that is Dejo Lee. <laughs> I love Dejo Lee. I just, I realized that it was never going to happen with that team. You know what I mean? Like, No, I'm, no, it wasn't. <laughs> that's it was more fault. Ryan Healy than it was ever Dejo Lee, though. Let's yeah. just... <laughs> Dejo Lee was approximating a major league first baseman. Ryan Healy was not approximating a major league third baseman by any stretch. So, yeah, I won't slander Dejo Lee. But you know what I mean? They're similar in terms of like the narrative. They're basically like three years ahead of us in terms of the timeline for how this has transpired. And they went into a full rebuild a little bit earlier than we did as well. And they signed players like Machado and Hosmer, and they're seeing the returns on that now. Um, and, you know, I'm not the first person to point this out. I think Luke Arkins on Twitter has said like, hey, you know, they they spent money and invested in these players when they were still bad. Um, and the come up came afterwards. And so I think we're kind of at the juncture where they signed Machado in the offseason right now. So we're going to go into the 2021-22 offseason kind of looking for those additional pieces. And I think that that's a good place to be in if you want to follow that San Diego paradigm. Would you agree with that? I think so. I, I, I just... That's that's ultimately what I want to see is I want to see us make moves in the offseason and not for minor league prospects or anything like that. Not to say that that's a bad thing, but we need some elite, consistent major league um, level quality position um, gaps filled. Uh, like I, I still think right now, obviously, because of hilariously me saying that Shed Long was going to break out of his shell and then he went on the 60 day list. Um, but he did, a, play did he? Yeah, he played a triple A yesterday. His very first oh, rehab game. God, that's so good to hear. But really, Your dark what horse I, lives, Alex. My dark horse lives. What I really want to see is I want to see. I we we need it. We need a good second baseman. Um, and you know, I, I think we need a good starting pitcher. I think Marco is your third starting pitcher. I think if Gilbert can get it all together, I think he's your sec, he's your second or your first. I and mean, you need to find another second or first starting pitcher. I think Kikuchi is a fourth, and then you can you know kind of slot in Dunn or um, 
or justice in your fifth hole. And honestly, I think that you could use both and continue that six, six man rotation, but you, we need that other pitcher badly. I agree. And I think, um, Maybe for a couple weeks from now, when we have our next podcast, what we should do is we could come up with a, a couple of names for free agent or trade pitchers that we think the Mariners should get. I think that would be an interesting discussion. Um, yeah. We're at about 45 minutes here, so let's pivot to the last question because it's your favorite subject, and I really want to know what you think about it. Okay, so here's the question. I'm actually still on board with about 90% of what the Mariners did this offseason. In hindsight, is 2020. But given the degree to which the roster has fallen apart at the seams, both from early season-ending injuries to critical players, widespread underperformance from young players, and now the first few players lost to COVID, it feels like there's some blame to go around and to share. Some say service, some say Jerry, others blame ownership for handcuffing the efforts of both. How would you assign success or blame for this team and the way it's constructed versus how they performed on the field? I think, okay, so there's, there's, there's a lot of different parts of this. Um, one, I think any type of injury, like, especially for this year, I'm giving a pass on just simply because of the exhaustion and the lack of a season last year. And you're basically playing with fire. People are going to get injured this year, whether it be your star pitcher or something. And then you're basically left to play, um, you know, make do with the hand that you're dealt. Um, so I honestly think service has done a well enough job making do with that hand. My concern comes more from, and, and I know that I know that for call-ups, it's more Jerry DePoto than it is Scott service. But my understanding is that they work more as a team, kind of like John Schneider and, uh, Pete Carroll work as a team, right? Yeah. So Schneider definitely has the final say on a lot of stuff, but he's not going to do so without Pete's like express consent, because that would be stupid. Um, I, I think that they're very much in that that same like kind of give take. Uh, my concern very much comes from uh, the way that service is handled, and I'm going to go back to it. Catching, we have a catcher who's actually pretty good, and I would say bang average. And for some reason, he is not playing every day. Tom I Murphy. do not understand why Tom Murphy is not your everyday catcher. Why he was starting Luis Torrens, who was batting something like 110 and couldn't tell a difference between a put out and a tag numerous times, it seemed like, and had terrible defense at the plate. Couldn't call a game if it if it meant his life was on the line. Like, I, I just didn't understand throwing him out there consistently when he was bad, like just bad. And so I, I, I never understood that. And you've got someone in like, maybe, you know, Tom Murphy isn't the greatest catcher, but to me, he's more established and knows what's happening. And again, I will always say the catcher is the engine of your team. If you don't have a good catcher, you could, you could have a fucking Lamborghini and you could put a fucking, I don't know, Vita bug engine in there. And it's going to run like a Vita bug and just dress like a fucking Lamborghini. It doesn't matter. Your engine isn't there. Your, the drive, the 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 thing that actually gives your uh, your car momentum and energy to push itself forward isn't indicative to the to the tooling of that car. And so 
that in the catcher, in my pitch and opinion is the catching position. And with it being such a gaping hole in our defense, I, I'm just baffled that we haven't actually tried to sure that up. Um, Cal Raleigh looks really good, both from an offensive and defensive perspective. I'm happy that they're keeping him down a little longer. I do expect that we will see him this year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I look at everything, I think that I agree. I think we're a year out. I, I think this off season will be the real key and real test. I think you do need to get rid of service though. If you want to, per if you want to compete, you can't use someone who's so, we talked about plain white bread uh, with mayonnaise on it. This guy is just a plain. This is Scott Service's Wonder Bread. He just crumbles in your hands. He's he, he's weak, and and I think ultimately that's what's frustrating to me is that you know I look at Dave Roberts, I look at uh, I look at even Dusty Baker for the uh, the Astros. Like he's not you know strategically the best you know manager but he has passion and it's just like i've never seen passion from scott service when he says fuck you i expect him to also apologize right after <laughs> yeah um i worry a little bit about the leadership on this team in general too when we have issues like the the covid situation that went down a couple yeah. of weeks ago um, when we have things like everybody in AAA is vaccinated and we can't reach the threshold for that um, with the major league team, I see that as a, I don't know about a managerial specific issue, but a leadership issue. No, yeah. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I don't know how else to put it, but yep. let me ask you this. So you're, you're in favor of changing out from service. I would I'm I'm not on board with that necessarily, but I'm not opposed to it either. Because I've said before, I think that service is by and large a net neutral, or perhaps maybe a better way to phrase it is not a net negative. Um, I think he's obviously going to get the rest of this year. They're not going to fire anyone mid-season the way this is going. Do you give him next year where there are expectations to kind of see how it goes? Or do you make the change now and try and do a rapid culture shift before you expect to be competitive? I think that it depends on what you do in the offseason. If you sign some big name players, you're going to need a manager who can, who can, who demands the respect of those. Do you know, honestly, what I think that you do? I think you go and you entice Dave Roberts to come over from um, LA. Why do you think he would leave? Is he out of contract this year? No, I just think that that would be so fun. Um, no, I, I, I actually don't know, I, and 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 I don't. But I think that he could do something similar with this team. I don't think I, I. And I look back on it, I'm like, you know, aside from Kershaw, I don't know of any really big things from the Dodgers' perspective that really, you know, I think it was Kershaw, Turner, and Seager were really their kind of starlets. Mm -hmm. It's not until recently where you had. Um, Bellinger and Muncie and you know these players is Muncie still in I'm yeah, not sure Muncie, but Muncie I believe he's injured but yeah and then they have the red-haired guy too uh oh I'm totally blanking eyes Dustin, oh, Dustin yeah Dustin May except now he's on the uh, I think he blew out his UCL he did uh, yeah. yeah so RIP dude um but I just think that he he can do that and he dem he commands that respect so he could come in and, and, and really do something with this roster. I think ultimately that's my that's the thing is like we need to 
you can't just have anyone. I think really Scott service belongs in the, um, um, in the like executive office. I think he's like more of an assistant, uh, GM than a, than a manager in my opinion. Which is where he actually came from, as I recall. I believe he was with like the, uh, you know, like training Essence. and personnel player performance staff with Texas. Is that correct? Yep. I, I could be wrong about that because they had originally talked about the Texas. Yeah, yeah. Some they wanted to hire somebody else who eventually became the bench coach and is no longer with the Mariners. Um, I'm I'm blanking on his name, but somebody else was Chris originally. Woodward. No, um, it was the whoever the Scott Services bench coach was in the first year. That was the guy that was originally postulated to be the Mariners manager, and they didn't pick him. It was kind of a surprise. Um. But let me pivot real quick and ask you this. So I've generally, we both view service and Jerry as somewhat of a package deal. If you're going to get rid of service, do you also, they're, they're both um, on lame duck contract status right now. As far as we know, it's entirely possible. They did this last time. They signed them both to extensions and just didn't say anything. The Mariners like to do that. So as far as we know, they're under contract, but um, do you maybe make a wholesale switch? There's been some discussion about Theo Epstein, I am generally of the opinion that his job that he is currently working at is better than what he would get with the Mariners anyway. Um, I don't think he's necessarily looking to get back into being a GM right away. But if you have, if you're John Stanton and you're looking at this competitive position and the way this has all gone so far, even if you like the way the rebuild goes this particular season, um, do you make that major change? Do you go get Theo and Dave Roberts? Do you go, is that... Do you see that as being a, a major difference maker for this club? Yes. I think if you can get I think I think if you can get Theo Epstein, you get Theo Epstein. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really what it comes down to. Is if, if Theo Epstein wants to come and, and, and turn the Mariners into the fucking Cubs, do it. Let's do it. I would Just, agree. I think that obviously those particular names are a bit of a reach, but I but the general thinking is hey, if you could if you could genuinely and honestly believe you could upgrade those positions, is this the time to do it? I think you're saying yes. I would also say yes. I am a grass is greener on the other side person. I like Jerry DePoto and Scott Service and what they've done with this organization. But I'm with you in that I'm a little hesitant to believe in the next step being properly taken. You know what I mean? Like it just... It, it's hard to see it materializing given the way it seems like every season kind of spirals out of control so quickly. And, you know, they're always, we're always pointing to injuries. We're always pointing to prospects for underperformance. But I'm sitting here looking at the Mariners WRC Plus, and they have, they really only have three players, three or four players. Kyle Seeger is dead on at 100 WRC Plus right now. So they have four players, including him, who are hitting better than league average. There's just, there are still holes. You know what I mean? There are still pieces very obviously missing and it is a fair question of after six years can they fill those holes with the people that are already here they've already put into the system um and i think we should leave it there for today because that's an open-ended question that we're going to be coming back to all year um that's really the theme of the year is they're on lame duck status and this rebuild is supposed to be kicking into the next gear how much faith do we have based on what we're going to see over the next couple of months that that can become a reality um yeah right Yep, I completely agree. I think, um, and I, and I kind of want to hold on. Let me before we do that. Let's let's ask one question. I want to see how long Jack Z was with the Mariners. Oh man, I want to say he was here for 
seven years, maybe six. He, yeah, let's see. October 2008 is when he was hired. So he was there for the 2009 season through the 2015 season. So, you know, he got seven fired years. mid seven years. Seven years. Seven. At least he was there to construct seven rosters based on that timeline. Which is so like crazy because Jerry DePoto doesn't seem like he's been here for that long. No. And part of it is that they made such. You know, the first three years in particular kind of feel like their own era because they were com competing, as it were, so to speak. Um, and then they really switched to a rebuild. So it does feel like he's had two, you know, kind of a three year and a three year split. But yeah, we will be next year will be year seven of Jerry DePoto. And it is a fair question of when, especially given that you did blow it for the first three years, when is it fair to expect results? Um, that's tough to yeah. answer. Exactly. But, Let's end on a positive note. The prospects are here. Kelnick's here. Gilbert's here. Um, and they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. And Raleigh's going to be here in short order, given the way that our catching situation is shaking out. So um, that's all really fun to look forward to. Um, what is your, the last thing, what is your favorite prospect moment of the year so far from these young kids? Um, probably Gilbert's first game. It was just a lot of fun. It was it was exciting. Yeah, he got kind of beat up a bit, but dude, his stuff is like I, like he was getting swings and misses in some of the best pitches, like some it was it was beautiful. And so, you know, yeah, he did get blown up, but uh, it was it was a blast. It was so fun to see. I agree. That was really fun. I think uh, the Kelnick hustle doubles were pretty spectacular, too. That was really it was cool to see the team react to that too, because you know it was it kind of signaled to everybody that like, yo, I'm I'm here and we're gonna do something different. Kind of, um, it hasn't followed up quite as well as that, but um, he started with a bang, so that was good to see. Um, yeah, anything else today? I think that's it. I think this is a good place to to call it a week, um, and we'll uh, we'll see everyone in two weeks. So uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Hey, so thanks for joining this week. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, baseball is such a passion to us and we're, uh, we're excited to share this with you. Um, so if you like Mariners and just hearing us shit talk and um, just get generally sad about the state of our ball club, uh, tune in in two weeks and we'll do it all over again because I'm sure we'll figure out a way to just completely shit the bed. So <laughs> I'm Alex. You can find me on Twitter at Alex to the Andrew. Evan, where can they find you? They can find me at evanjamesaudio.com or evanjamesaudio on Twitter or many other places where I'm Evan James Audio. I've been doing a lot of YouTube stuff lately, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, uh, check us out anywhere we are. Listen to the podcast every other week. And until then, we'll see you next time. Hey, thanks, sir. Thanks. It. Yeah, words. They're tough. Hey, bye. Bye, everybody. It's a holiday. Okay, let's see. I'm exporting this to MP3 and then I'm calling.